Duke fans, welcome to episode five, seven, eight of the Duke Basketball Roundup. I'm Jason Evans, here for your listening enjoyment. It is time for us to look ahead to the weekend. The Blue Devils taking on Notre Dame, going on the road again in the ACC, someplace that Duke has struggled so far. Joining me as always, Donald Wine. Donald, how are you doing this fine afternoon? Doing pretty good. It's been a busy day, but I'm looking forward to the weekend because... I love when Duke basketball plays the weekend and, and Jason, this is the start of like a nice stretch. I think for the rest of the year, for the rest of the regular season, Duke plays on a Saturday, which I love. That means every Saturday is sorted for me for the next two months. I love it. I love it. Hey, and folks joining us as well, special guest, JJ Jackson of the locked on blue devils podcast. JJ has interviewed Donald and I on numerous occasions. It's time for us to return the favor. <laughs> We're bringing JJ in. You know, we're trying to mix in extra voices here since since Sam's um, unfortunate retirement from being a part of the DBR. And JJ is going to be one of those voices that we bring in every now and then. Buddy, JJ, welcome to the Duke Basketball Roundup. Thank you guys so much. I've been listening to DBR for I can't even tell you how long I've been going after this. And uh, the number of times that you guys have been on the Lockdown Blue Devils podcast have been great conversations previously. So uh, thrilled to be here this time on, on your home field. And uh, yeah, let's have some fun. I love it. I love it. Uh, by the way, it's worth noting, JJ is one of the play-by-play voices of the Auburn Tigers. Um, I, you know, what sports do you specialize? What do you do the most of for Auburn? A little bit of everything. Uh, if I had to, most just by volume would be baseball and softball, but I did a couple of men's basketball games already this season. Uh, most recently, the Alabama State game uh, on the SEC Network Plus there. Um, and then, yeah, I've traveled typically with the uh, SEC Network and done some Georgia Tech games this year as well. But baseball and uh, softball are kind of my most popular sports that I'm doing play-by-play on the network for. I will tell you, my friend, you are living the dream of a lot of sports <laughs> fans out there <laughs> getting to call games. But the reason I brought brought this up is because one of the teams that Notre Dame has played this year, one of the significant opponents they've faced was Auburn. And you got to see that game. Um, I- I'm going to let Donald start us off by talking a little bit about Notre Dame's schedule and how they've done so far. But then he's going to bring you in because we want to talk about what you saw when Notre Dame played Auburn. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the first thing, right, is we look at Notre Dame. Notre Dame is six and eight on the year. They're one and two in the ACC, so struggling. But we have to also kind of go back a bit because this is the first year for Micah Shrewsbury, uh, the new head coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. He obviously replaced a longtime legend of the game, Mike Bray. He retired last year. I guess he hasn't officially said he's retired, but he has stepped away from the game, at least for the time being. Wait, 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 Jason. I got to tell you something. So I had no idea of this. I went to a Hawks game the other day Mm -hmm. and – uh, Quinn Snyder's out there coaching coaching the Atlanta Hawks, and he's got his assistant coaches with him. Mike Bray was there. I didn't even realize this. Mike Bray is an assistant coach for the Atlanta Hawks. I had no idea. I will note that when <laughs> I, this is I shouldn't even be saying this when Quinn was in a timeout and stuff like that, and he was conferring with his top lieutenants. Mike Bray was kind of off to the side. He was just sort of like chill it out. <laughs> he, might just be, he might just be that consultant guy that sits yeah, on the exactly. bench and takes notes and is like, hey, you should you should put in the, the good guy. You should put in Trey Young. Um, but <laughs> exactly. hey, if Mike, Johnson, if Mike Bray... You know, he, he should put in Jalen Johnson. Jalen Johnson is killing yeah. it for the Hawks right now. But anyway, awesome. yeah, sorry. I totally distracted, but you mentioned Mike Bray. And I went, oh, yeah, I saw Mike Bray yeah. just a couple days ago. So Mike Bray, not retired, not coaching. Maybe he's on the bench somewhere in Atlanta uh, next to Jason, where Jason could probably yell at him uh, for not putting in Jalen Johnson and Trey Young. But I digress. Because of that, we have a new look Notre Dame 
offense under Micah Shrewsbury. It's a very young team. We'll talk about that later. But they have wins against Niagara, okay, Oklahoma State, Maryland Eastern Shore, Western Michigan, Marist, and UVA. That UVA game last weekend, they beat UVA by 22, which they didn't follow up by losing last night to NC State by two. Now, their losses, we're going to get to uh, JJ here in just a second, but Western Carolina, South Carolina, Miami, Marquette, Georgetown. When you look at some of these teams, Miami, Marquette, you know, those teams, hey, ain't nobody worried about those. Those are those are pretty strong teams, and, and a team, you know, Notre Dame was picked to finish dead last in the ACC. So you know, showing well against those teams, hey, ain't no problem with that. But we get to this Auburn game that they played. This was early in the season. I believe it was – uh, right, it was right during the uh, you know, Thanksgiving tournament part of the schedule, and they faced Auburn, and Auburn smacked them by 24. So, JJ, I turned to you for this because I know you watched that game. What did you see in that game specifically, and not necessarily focusing on the players, which we'll get to later, but overall, when you look at Notre Dame, how did they look against Auburn, and what made that score so lopsided? Uh, yeah, looked kind of disjointed, uh, and I think it was a little bit of the youth that was there, and um, you know, I think when we think about going into ACC play, seeing these teams so frequently over the years, you're used to so many of them. And so, yes, there's a big change in leadership and who's the head coach, but you don't recognize a whole lot of the players for that Notre Dame team and trying to kind of figure out roles and um, who was going to take the shots in certain moments and that sort of thing. And they've gotten a better sense of that since that Auburn game, which was the third game of the year uh, for both of those teams. But Bruce Pearl recruits backcourt players like crazy. That's his bread and butter. Point guards, he's got another great one and and five-star point guard in Holloway this season. And it was a track meet right out of the gates, and Notre Dame had a hard time kind of keeping up with Auburn, especially once that game got into the second half. So uh, I I would say in in that game in particular, it was kind of no identity coming off the bench, um, not as deep of a rotation uh, for Notre Dame early in the year. And uh, yeah, that was one of kind of the big things that I saw there. You know, I want to mention something about Donald. You said they had that great win over Virginia and then they lost to NC state, a very close game where they lost to NC state. They only lost by two. And it was a game where uh, NC state um, was, was kind of out of the game until the very end. You know, I, I, I hesitate. I'm trying to figure out if maybe Notre Dame has found themselves lately. Um, I mean, beating Virginia by 22 points is is eye-opening and and Notre Dame shot lights out in that game and they crushed Virginia on the boards they they out-rebounded Virginia 40 to 27 um I, you see a result like that and you're like well wait you know what's going on here is this team is this young young team maybe finding itself and then they come in and they they play NC State and they had NC State beat they were they were leading by six with less than two minutes to go um and State won at the buzzer according to Ken Pomeroy Notre Dame was in like a 90% chance to win that game throughout the entire second half the, the, or the final 10 minutes or so of the, of the game. And, and Notre Dame only blew it when they missed two front ends of one and one in the final minute, either of which probably would have salted the game away. But I wanted to mention some interesting things about that because on the one hand, I was like, oh, wait, maybe Notre Dame has found themselves. Maybe Notre Dame is suddenly a team, you know, ready to compete in the ACC because they had this really close result against NC State. Another way to look at it, though, is that NC State, <laughs> there should have been in no position to win this game. NC State shot 28.8% from the field and still won the contest against Notre Dame. I want to repeat that. They shot 28.8%. It was the lowest field goal percentage by a team to win an ACC game since 2008. <laughs> That's a long time. 
Additionally, it was the first time in ACC history that a team shot less than 30% from the field, hit fewer than four threes, and still won the game. Teams to shoot less than 30% and hit fewer than four threes were 0 and 134 coming into this game. So before we start going, oh, wait, maybe Notre Dame has found something. <laughs> maybe it's a bloody miracle that they couldn't beat NC State as bad as NC State played. And Jason, I think that's a great segue to, in, to as we end how they've done so far this season and kind of let me segue you into the metrics. I mentioned those two games specifically because it feels like with Notre Dame so far this year, it, to borrow from the holidays, right? You, you, we have some teams where you have to open up the present every single game to see what you're going to get. This feels like every half and sometimes every 10 minutes, you got to open up the gift again or look back into the bag to see if there's something else. Because as we lead into the metrics, you, we're gonna, you're going to talk about some of these things that they do well and some things that they do super poorly. But the one thing about this team is this. The reason why we can't really say that they found themselves yet is because they haven't had that many games together as a unit. Out of 362 teams, this team has the 358th few, like least experience, right? It's fourth fewest in number of experience. We have guys that are freshmen that are playing, kind of being thrown to the wolves under a new offense, a new coach. There's a lot of things going on in South Bend that they need to work through as a unit, and they're kind of doing it as a baptism by fire in some of these games. Because some of these games, they... You know, they have no business losing some games. Like you mentioned, they figure out a way to put it together against UVA. And then they turn right back around and kind of lose the plot and lose the game against NC State. So I leave that with you because I know when we talk about some of these these metrics, we have to focus on the fact that this team is super inexperienced and might be one of the most, might be the most inexperienced team that we face all year. Oh, yeah, almost certainly. Uh, as you mentioned, they, they got a nine-man rotation. Four of them are freshmen. Three of them are sophomores. The only senior is like a backup big man who doesn't play all that much. Uh, this is a super young team, and they can be pushed around a little bit. Of their top six guys in terms of minutes played, none of them weigh more than 210 pounds. So they're young. They are slender. They're not going to be super physical. Let's get to specifically to the analytics, though. They are um, number 166 in Ken Pomeroy's rankings, and... That's actually a big improvement of where they were just a couple of weeks ago. They've rocketed up the rankings. They were in the mid-200s just before Christmas. This Notre Dame team is a team that is much better on, on defense than they are on offense. Their offense is super inefficient. They're ranked 291st on offense. They're 65th on defense. They're, that's decent. But they're 291st on offense. It's just abysmal. So you want to know the reasons? They're a horrible shooting team. I mean, terrible. They hit less than 50% of their two-point shots. They hit less than 29% of their threes. Yeah, they are 325th in the country at three-point field goal percentage. And here's the crazy thing. They just keep firing away from threes. Almost 45% of their shots come from behind the arc, even though they aren't hitting them. <laughs> you can't even hit 30% of them. Shooters shoot, Jason. That's the, that's the yeah, mantra. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's the best idea if you're hitting 28, 28.5% of your three-point shots. Wow. You know what else? This is a team that commits a ton of turnovers. They commit turnovers on 20% of their possessions. And by the way, most of those turnovers are the sloppy, non-steal kind. Like, this is not a team where you steal the ball from them a lot. This is a team where they pass the ball around the perimeter a lot, and they eventually just throw it out of bounds <laughs> or something like that. 
It is really, it is ugly for them out there. They are, they are 328th in the country. Again, 350, 360 teams in the U.S. They are 328th in the com- country in what's called non-steal turnovers. That means a turnover that you cause yourself, not that the other team causes for you. That is really bad. And as a result, I said, you know, them passing the ball around a lot, doing a lot of dribbling, not taking shots. They, uh, they are really, really slow. Their pace of play is phenomenally slow on offense. Um, and, you know, it, it makes for kind of an ugly, frankly, kind of boring game. All right, let's get to the defense, though, because that is their strong suit. They're good defensive rebounding team. Not great, but they're pretty good. They don't block a lot of shots, but they do a nice job of contesting your field goals. You know, this is a team that's sort of going to get a hand in your face and make you earn it on defense. Um, And as a result, uh, teams only hit about 46% of their two-point field goals against Notre Dame, and that is the best thing that Notre Dame does. Notre Dame prevents you from getting good looks um, and they also don't put guys in the free throw line. So, uh, like I said, this is a team where you're going to have to earn it against them. Uh, Ken, you know, Ken Pomeroy says that this is a game that Duke's probably going to win 74 to 61. He's got 13 points. I, I, I'll be really honest. I kind of feel like we should expect Duke to do better than that against Notre Dame. Um Unless Notre Dame is really, really successful at holding down Duke's shooting percentage. Like I said, NC State just had a game at Notre Dame where they only hit 28.8% and they couldn't even hit four three-point field goal attempts. Unless Notre Dame is successful at at forcing Duke into a game like that, I feel like the Blue Devils are going to, you know, you you tell me it's a 20-point win, I'm not surprised. No, I I think that's totally fair. I think when you look at those numbers alone, like, yeah, the, the fact that Notre Dame's defense has been so strong this season of forcing teams to not shoot so well. Um, It it feels like this could be a game in which the Duke offense once again continues to kind of separate themselves as one of those uh, top teams in the ACC so far. Hey, JJ, let me ask you because this is a road game. Yeah. Duke has, Duke has struggled on the road already. We got two, we only played two road, true road games. We've lost both of them. Um, Talk to me a little bit about, you know, what you're seeing, what's going on with, with teams struggling so much? I, I guess it's not surprising. Teams are better at home than on the road, but it's been really stark this year. Yeah, it really has. I talked about this with Connor O'Neill from Devils Illustrated on on uh, the Lockdown Blue Devils podcast throughout the week. But so far, we've had two kind of go-throughs of ACC play. The one very early in December where Duke has that Georgia Tech game, and then we had kind of the Tuesday and Wednesday assignment of games that took place this week. And the road teams are 5-12. and 12 so far to start the season and guys two of those wins are the nc state win that we're talking about over notre dame earlier this week nc state also had a win against boston college back in december a game that went to overtime so um, north carolina had a victory against pittsburgh they'd never beaten pitt uh, under hubert davis before so uh, yeah it's been really really hard for road teams to win in the league so far early in the year uh, and and for Duke, we saw this season, Arkansas, Georgia Tech, back-to-back road games, and no wins for Duke during that stretch. Now Duke's got this stretch of at Notre Dame, at Pittsburgh, before coming back home next weekend on Saturday. So I think with the younger team, uh, kind of the, the emphasis there is staying locked in, understanding that uh, you might have tough shooting nights, uh, and still trying to fight until the very end. We've seen great second halves from this Duke team. So in a lot of ways, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a slower start for Duke, 
given the road struggles, given, hey, this is a Saturday game. I think Notre Dame's going to be pretty ramped up uh, to have Duke in town. But then come the second half, we might see Duke separate themselves once again. And this is why I think this is an important stretch for Duke this next week and a half when you think about these two games that we have coming up that are on the road. And then you come back to Cameron uh, next weekend. But when you look at it, just think about the first couple months of the season so far. Duke has left the state three times. They've lost two of them, and the third one was to New York, which is basically going home, right? That's yeah. Durham extension, right? And I think when it comes to a lot of teams, they've been on the road, and, and you know even Notre Dame has been places. They've done the road trip logistics, the routine, and and walking into a gym where they know that there's maybe 20 people in the corner that are rooting for them, and that's it. When it comes to this game, we're going to the Joy Center, which has traditionally been a place that we don't play well in. And we have to go against a team that is brand new with a lot of inexperience and has all these things that Jason just mentioned in the metrics that go against them. But they have one factor in that this is their Super Bowl. This is their game that they are going to be jacked up for. And this team, this Duke team right now, needs to learn how to win on the road, specifically for the fact that every single gym they're going to go into it's going to be that other team Super Bowl for the most part. Every, every team that we face on the road has us circled on their calendar. You know, all of a sudden, the, you know, this team that shoots terribly might shoot 45, 50% from three. This team that can't rebound gets rebounds. This, this team that can't steal the ball to save their life will have eight steals in the first five minutes because they want that momentum. We saw that against Georgia Tech. We saw it against Arkansas. We have to understand that the slow stroke, the slow starts that we have been kind of plagued with over the last month, even in the games that we played well in, we have to curtail that on the road because mon like monumental momentum just absolutely increases when you're on the road and the home home team gets off to a start that nobody expected. We have to think in that mindset, and this team has to think in that mindset when we enter the Joy Center on Saturday that, hey, Notre Dame's going to take their shot immediately. They're not going to wait because they know the longer that they don't get that shot and they don't land that haymaker, the more opportunities we have to knock, knock your opponent out. They're going to try and go for that shot right off the jump, just like any under undercard boxer would do. Because nobody nobody cares about the twelfth round knockout. Everyone loves the first round knockout. If you can knock them out early, then we can we can have some smooth sailing and then try to you know incorporate some things. So I'm I'm interested to see how this team starts. That's going to be the most important part of this game. Um, but you're right, the the struggles on the road give you pause and make it where this game feels a little more important. Uh, you know, the one thing I'll say about that is this is a Duke team that has more experience than many Duke teams we've seen lately. And they've been through the ACC wars. Guys like Tyrese Proctor, Kyle Filipowski, Mark Mitchell, certainly Jeremy Roach, guys like Ryan Young. Uh, these are guys who understand what it takes to win on the road in the ACC. Um, and, and I think that maybe sets them apart a bit from some of the other young Duke teams who have struggled in recent days. Guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk specifically about some of the players on Notre Dame that we need to be on the lookout for. And I'm going to ask both of you, is it time for Tyrese Proctor to move back into the starting lineup, or do we stick with Caleb Foster? That question, that answer, I should say, after this quick break. Hey there, Duke fans. You know, warmer, sunnier days are calling. 
Fuel up for them with Factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-created meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. That's right, Jason. And Jason, I can tell you, I just got some meals. They're fantastic. And the great thing is, like you said, two minutes, mindless work, pop it in the microwave, do what you need to do, and it's ready to eat. No more cooking, no more cleaning pots and pans. And also, there's a lot of choices with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. So you'll always have new flavors to explore. All right, so head to factormeals.com slash DukeBB50. Use that code DukeBB50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code DukeBB50 at factormeals.com. Get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy Factor Meals from the Duke Basketball Roundup. All right, we're back from the break, and we're going to begin by continuing our conversation about Notre Dame. And specifically, I want to talk about their leading scorer, a guy named Marcus Burton. Uh, by the way, if you told me in the preseason that Marcus Burton was going to be one of the contenders for ACC Freshman of the Year, my answer to you would have been, who? <laughs> Marcus Burton was barely a top 200 recruit when he arrived on campus at Notre Dame. He is just 5'11". He weighs barely 170 pounds, 170 pounds dripping wet. This dude is currently 12th in the ACC in scoring. <laughs> he plays fast. He plays downhill. He has surprising strength for a guy who, you know, only weighs about 170 pounds or less than that. It's a kind of amazing. He absorbs contact and finishes. Uh, it, it is He is the surprise of the year this year in the ACC, the way he's playing. And there's some amazing advanced stats on him. Marcus Burton is 13th in the country in usage rate. That's outrageous, my friends. Wow. That is crazy. For folks who don't understand, usage rate is like, you know, how often are you the guy who takes the shot or commits the turn, whatever it may be? How often are you the guy who ends the possession for your team? Marcus Burton, 13th in the country. He takes shots on a third of Notre Dame's possessions. He, by the way, gets an assist on a third of the buckets that he didn't take for the rest of the team. Like, if he's on the floor, he's either shooting it or he's the guy passing it to the guy who's making the basket pretty much. 16.1 points per game, this guy averaged. Almost four assists per game. He is Notre Dame's entire offense. And again, this is a guy who was barely rated in the top 200 coming into coming into college and, and, and is a you know totally unknown recruit and not a guy who physically you look at and go, oh yeah, that guy's going to dominate. I'll let either one, either one of you, Donald, go first. How, how shocking is this? It's it's shocking and it's not right because first of all you're you're still asking who is this guy we can't tell because you can't find him I think that's one of the strengths to him is that he can run around and you kind of have to look for him and when you, and everyone in almost everyone in the ACC has to look down to find him and by the time you do that a lot of people don't understand when you're when you're tall yeah sure tall has its benefits but when you're going to get someone who's super quick super fast and super tiny. The defense can't see them. Now, they may not be able to see over the defense, 
but it's harder to keep track of someone like that. And then when you let him loose, he's going to the basket. When you said Jason, he has every, he, he commands their entire offense. Jason, he, he has taken so far this season, he has taken 202 shots, 202 shots. That is almost 100 shots more than the second most prolific shooter on their team. That is a ton of, that is a ton of shots. Like this man, if he is not shooting, he's basically passing to someone who is going to take a shot. It's, it's him. And then everybody else, I will say there is the downside to Marcus Burton being involved in the offense is he's the guy with the ball in his hands. Most of the time, a lot of that usage rate, Jason, that ends up sometimes those possessions in the turnovers, he averages four turnovers a game. Now that's because he has the ball in his hand most of the time. So you have to figure out a way to stop him. This might be a game for Jalen Blakes again to come in and, and kind of be that pest and kind of slow him, at least slow him down. Know that he's going to get his points and make it where no one else on the other team on Notre Dame beats you. But this is going to be an opportunity for, uh, you know, I don't know if Tyrese Proctor is going to be on there because, again, you get to a point where Tyrese Proctor might be considered too tall to stay with them. You might have a Jared McCain on him. I absolutely think you're going to see Jalen Blakes when he's in the game guard Marcus Burton. But it's going to be interesting to see how we do this because after that, I mean, this team is not huge, but it's not short. It's just this guy commands the offense. And when you when everyone has to be, it's going to be a, a game where all five guys on the floor for Duke have to know where Marcus Burton is because if one of us loses them, that's where he's going to be able to strike and do the most damage. Yeah, I'm thinking about the uh, my, my fellow DBR loyalists out there who recall a similar conversation that was had earlier in the season prior to the Hofstra game, when you guys were breaking down Tyler Thomas, who takes every Dude, I shot, love it. Every, every shot, shot yeah. <laughs> for Hofstra, right? And so it's it's like a similar dynamic here with Marcus Burton, except in Tyler Thomas's case, when he throws it to a fellow teammate, Hofstra is a fine and elite outside shooting team. Notre right. Dame, not so much. So uh, someone's got to be taking these shots for Notre Dame. It just so happens to kind of be Marcus Burton, and uh, yeah, so I think this Duke team's going to be ready for that. They've seen kind of a player who fits the mold, so to speak, of who is kind of this high usage guy. And I think it is a little bit okay to overcommit and help uh, on Marcus Burton drives because you're not as worried about some of those other outside shooters for Notre Dame this season. All right, so we could. Are there other players that we're talking about? It doesn't feel like it. This Notre Dame team is like Marcus Burton or bust, pretty much. <laughs> well, I... I... Jason, I think the the answer to that question is, yeah, you might need to know some of their names, right? Like Kerry Booth is going to take shots. J.R. Kishesny is going to take his shots. You know, they're, they may not, they're not going to take as much as Marcus Burton, but you have to understand that these guys, you know, Kerry Booth is 6'10". He's a freshman. These guys are going to be playing Duke for the first time. They're going to be jacked up about it. Michael Shrewsbury, his son is on the team. Braden Shrewsbury, uh, 6'3", freshman. He starts. Tay Davis usually starts or comes off the bench. Julian Roper comes off the bench, but these I, guys the way, aren't going to like, I like Tay Davis. He came over from Seton hall. He's a mm -hmm. long player. He's six, nine. He's going to be very important for them. I actually think you could see Tay Davis spending a pretty fair bit of time trying to guard Kyle Filipowski. That's a big, big role for them. Yeah. And I think the, the answer to that, right? Like reason why you bring a guy over from Seton hall, he has experience, which this team doesn't have. He has at least that big East physical experience. Expect Tay Davis when he's in the game, to at least try to be a little bit physical with with either Kyle Filipowski or, or Ryan Young or even Sean Stewart, just to kind of let them know that, hey, this is not going to be as easy as they claim. But again, when you think about Marcus Burton and the rest of these guys, if Marcus Burton's going to get his 16 points, that's cool. 
but you do not want to have one of those other guys go off. And again, you don't want someone to gain the confidence that they can get like they did in UVA, where, like you said, everybody started making buckets. We can't have that against against Notre Dame. We got to make sure that if we're going to have someone you know, go off and do something, it's Marcus Burton, and we keep the rest of this team at bay because top to bottom on paper, we are better than this team. But at any given day, again, when someone's entering their Super Bowl, they're playing – and again, that they are going to be elevated mentally, physically, emotionally. We have to match that intensity when we come out there. JJ, I want to throw a question to you, and I teased this earlier. The question is, is it time for Duke to move Tyrese Proctor back into the starting lineup and bring Caleb Foster off the bench as, as the sixth man, the way it was early in the season? On the one hand, I'm going to set it up for you this way. On the one hand, yeah. I think it's easy to go, yeah, of course. I mean, the notion that Tyrese Proctor, a guy who's potential lottery pick, starter all of last year, starter until he got hurt all of this year. Uh, of course, you put him back in the starting lineup. On the other hand, it is worth noting, and I don't know if it's the fault of Tyrese Proctor or not. You can get into that debate, and that's what we're, I guess we're about to do. But the Duke offense has been running pretty pretty nicely without Tyrese Proctor. In fact, you can make a pretty good argument that Duke has been playing better offensively Without Tyrese Proctor running the game more through Jeremy Roach, more through Jared McCain, and a lot more through Kyle Filipowski than when Tyrese Proctor was the starter. So, JJ, who you got in your starting lineup today? No, I do think it's it's Tyrese Proctor. I think it, we've seen enough to put him back out there. I do think there's the question, to your point, Jason, of, well, it's been working. If it's not broke, don't fix it. But this is Tyrese Proctor that we're talking about. And I think even more so than that, we look at that second half against Syracuse and how much Proctor was out there on the floor for that Duke team, right? You look at the final numbers, Proctor plays 27 minutes, Caleb Foster only played 21. So uh, I, I think it's to the point where Proctor kind of feels like, yeah, I'm, I'm back, I'm ready to do this thing. Uh, and I think John Shire and the coaching staff are going to follow suit. So um, I, I think there's definitely still a role for Caleb Foster. Need him to continue to be kind of that sixth man off the bench. There are going to be nights where some of those other guards don't have it, uh, and Caleb Foster needs to step up. But we've seen enough at this point. Tyrese Proctor has earned it, in my eyes, to be back in that starting lineup. And I think there is absolutely a wave for this Duke offense to continue to excel with Proctor at the helm because I think, and we'll get to this, there are other reasons for that offense that's excelling, and I think that's Jeremy Roach and Jared McCain getting more comfortable in the backcourt for Duke so far this season. I think this is a difficult question, more difficult question to answer than we all realize because you are asking the question of does someone who who does not deserve to be benched because he got hurt re-enter the starting lineup in favor of someone who has played well and has not earned or has not deserved to be put back on the bench because of his play, right? That this is about what is the major focus of what we want to do here and how we want to run this offense. And I think Tyrese Proctor, the last couple of games, as JJ mentioned, has been steadily upticking his number of minutes to show that, yes, I can go, you know, 30 minutes if I need to, I can go 35 if I need to. Uh, I'm ready, at least healthy, health wise, I'm ready to go. Now it's about matchups. And I think when we talk about Notre Dame, this is a good opportunity to put. Tyrese Proctor back in the lineup and say, this is how it's going to work. Again, I don't think that diminishes really the number of minutes that Caleb Foster would play. I think he's still going to, we're still talking about them getting each between 25 and 30 minutes. One of them will get slightly more than the other, 
But there's also opportunities for the two of them to work together. Maybe give Jared McCain some rest. I'm not saying take Jared McCain out of the, out of the game the way he's been playing the last month. But I'm saying that there's going to be opportunities to see how these four guards, Ty, more than four, the Tyrese Proctor, Caleb Foster, um, Jeremy Roach, and Jared McCain, all four of those guys, how not necessarily going to have four of them dude, dude, at it, all it, times. It's it's five. Include Jalen Blake's in that conversation. And Jalen Blake's. You're right. Yeah. You're right. I apologize. You know, d- just from that standpoint, like how do you put all five of these guys on the floor and get them their minutes? We know that Jalen Blake's is not going to get 30 minutes. Like that's that we just it's just not been demonstrated so far this year. But like you said, Jason, he is a part of this rotation. He's going to remain a part of this rotation. How do you work those five guys into this balance? and make it where everybody is contributing in, in the time they're on the floor. I think that's the biggest, like, not even a hurdle. It's just the biggest question facing Duke over the next week or so. How do we do that? Because now these games come hard, like quick and fast. We're going to see all five of these guys play. They're going to get their minutes because no one's going to be playing, you know, 40 minutes. Well, maybe maybe Jeremy Roach because Jeremy Roach just doesn't like coming out of games. But <laughs> I, I think and that's, it's not a bad thing. You know, I, I think in the end of the day, how you balance these minutes are going to help keep these guys, first of all, motivated, second of all, efficient, but most important for me, fresh. Because these games, as I mentioned, we're going to start to have two to three games a week. We can't have tired legs out there as we get into the meat of the season. The great thing is we have five guys that are capable of being in the starting lineup or just producing heavy minutes and playing very well. The longer that continues, the fresher that everyone is, the more lethal Duke is. Donald, you said we have five guys. I think you meant to say we have six guys capable, right? Five, five, five guards. Oh, you said five guys. I th- yeah, five <laughs> sorry, guards. Yeah, sorry. Five. Okay, that makes more sense. All right, I was like, yeah, I, I feel like we got more than five guys who are capable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now I understand where you're coming from. All right, we were focused on guards. My bad. Yeah. That's my bad. Yeah, no, 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 no problem. Uh, look, my um, my my bottom line on the debate as to who should be the starter is that I think it should be, I agree with you guys, I think it should be Tyrese Proctor. I think you saw in the second half of that Syracuse game, like JJ said, uh, and by the way, the, the minutes break down that second half, Proctor played 12 and a half minutes um, and, and Foster played seven and a half. I think the team was better when Tyrese Proctor was out there uh, in that in that second half. The, the, the ball movement's a little bit better and Tyrese Proctor's just looking for his teammates a little more. At this point in his career, Caleb Foster is really great at creating for himself hasn't yet figured out how to create for others and I, and Proctor clearly can create for others. Uh, I, I just, I just hope Duke doesn't catch themselves like sitting around and watching Tyrese Proctor, um, which I think was happening a little bit earlier in the season. I want them to continue to run the offense through Filipowski at times and absolutely through Jeremy Roach at times and, and not forget about Jared McCain. So if they can do those, and I think they will do those things. I think they did those things, and they scored 51 points in the second half against Syracuse. So, yeah, I, I, I'm with both of you. I think that it's time for Proctor to move back into the starting lineup. I think the the one thing that we can be clear on since that Georgia Tech game, right, since our last loss against Georgia Tech, kudos to both, Jer- uh, both Jeremy Kane and Caleb Foster for making this a difficult decision because it was very, you know, it could have been super simple, Oh, yep, this guy's not playing well. Throw Tyrese Proctor back in. Here we go. But the fact that they have both emerged and been way more consistent over the last, you know, three weeks or so, you know, hats off to both of them for their play because that's why this is a question, right? This is that's why we have to kind of debate it. And it's not necessarily a straightforward answer. And again, like you said, with Jalen Blake's coming off the bench, how to manage all these minutes, it, it's a it's a great problem to have when you have 
uh, you know, several guys that are capable of, of starting, and you can only start a couple of them. I can't speak to Caleb Foster's strong play over the last five, but it's very clearly for the McCain perspective due to the fact that uh, the McCain parents were here on DBR chatting with you guys. The, bump. the timing the bump. lines up. Like you, you guys noted it out in one of the last episodes, and it's true. Well done, guys. Uh, uh, the entire Duke basketball community, very appreciative of what we've seen out of uh, number zero the last few days. <laughs> I love it. All right, JJ, I'm going to give you last word here. Um, we're about to wrap this episode up. Uh, anything you want to talk about, man, floor is yours. I, I, I talked about this a little bit on the show this week, put some numbers out earlier on uh, on Twitter as well. This Duke team, uh, we lost Derek Lively, who was an above-the-rim threat for Duke in particular, but both Filipowski and Mark Mitchell's numbers at the rim, really impressive, and I think that speaks to a little bit of what we're seeing from Tyrese Proctor. Some of those drives leaves Mark Mitchell wide open in the dunker spot, easy dump-off and dunks. Both of those guys – Filipowski and Mark Mitchell. Uh, Mitchell's got 19 dunks already this year. Flip's got 11, well above their pace for dunks that they had as a freshman. Um, so you guys keep an eye out for that and, and other Duke basketball fans out there as well because um, I love dunks, never been able to do it in my life, so I'm always uh, envious of those that can. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's been really fun to see how many good looks at the rim specifically Duke's been able to have. Uh, the the analytics folks will tell you that the dunk is a high percentage shot, so I like it. <laughs> I, I can tell you, I can tell you it's a high percentage shot because I can't make it, and it's zero <laughs> percent when I try. Um, but for everyone else, is it's close to one hundred. But I also think in that regard, right? Like you mentioned, you know, Mark Mitchell has nineteen dunks, Flip has eleven, right at the basket. And I think at this point, like Derek Lively, it felt like he had like forty seven. So we're kind of in a, in a, in a to borrow borrow analogy, it's almost like a money ball way of replacing that dunk rate, but it's yep. also because not just, you know, Tyrese Proctor driving the lane, Jared McCain has done this well. Even Kyle Filipowski, when he gets the ball, we saw a couple, couple of dimes that he had. We have great passers in the lane. I think that's the key is once we have, the, again, the ball moves faster than a person can. So if someone's in the right spot, you get them ball, the defense cannot rotate in time. And in most cases, they're just looking up to watch you dunk the ball. So um, I, I think that's the the key here is that we have guys, when they, once they get in the lane, they've learned to be a triple threat, even with the ball on their hands. Yes, they may go off the, off the glass and shoot it. Yes, they may pop, but yes, they may, you know, pull out, you know, kick out for a three. But there's also that, you know, you know, Mark Mitchell flashing to the post or flip flashing through the through the lane, grabbing the ball, and all of a sudden they turn around and all they see is the rim. So it, it's great to see that particular type of play happen. Love to see it continue because that again is going to make us even more dangerous. And for context to Duke fans out, Derek Lively had 54 last season. Mark Williams the year prior was like well over 70. So no one individually mm -hmm. is near yeah. that, but still finding ways to get those looks, I've been really impressed with. I think it also individually for Flip and the two-hip procedure, but also Mark Mitchell, what he's done kind of in the weight room and Duke's uh, strength and conditioning staff, the explosiveness of all of these guys taking an uptick a little bit. Mitchell had a lot of dunks against Syracuse. I, I wish I knew that. Yeah. I, I think it was probably four or so four. at least. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. He, I was trying to remember all of them. All right, JJ, before we go, tell everyone where they can find you because – Folks, if you're not listening to the Locked On Blue Devils podcast, you're you're missing out on something. 
Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity to, to give a shout out to the, the hard work that I'm doing. And I can't do it without you guys appearing every so often. And we're going to have to bring you guys back on here in the next few weeks once again uh, to have those conversations. Locked on Blue Devils available wherever you get your podcasts and also streaming on YouTube. So you can watch the show each and every day. Uh, there's a Locked On podcast specific to your favorite team out there somewhere, a really large streaming platform that we've got. So uh, go check us out and uh, really do appreciate people going to listen, uh, leaving five-star rating and reviews and that sort of thing. So thanks for the invite today, guys. Absolutely. And, and I want to point out again, JJ does this every day. Donald and I, <laughs> I, I think we're, we're up to about three or so episodes a week on average. JJ, man, I can't believe you're popping out one of these puppies every day. <laughs> it, look, it, that plus, as you mentioned, he's done a lot of the play-by-play -play on the Auburn side. Like he has yeah. a like like me, he has a whole other world that he that yeah. he dabbles in. Um, you're you're one of the hardest working people in this biz, man. We appreciate you. I appreciate that, guys. Thanks. That's gonna wrap it up here in the latest edition of the Duke Basketball Roundup. Again, thanks to our buddy JJ Jackson for joining me and Donald. That's it for us. Time for the Duke Band. They're here to play us out and take us home. So we'll be doing like their schedule, how they've looked. I'm going to do a lot of stuff on the analytics. Take, yeah, I'm, take used, I'm used to your Ken Palm stuff that you uh, that you pull out here. So, yeah, <laughs> yes, I'm yes. listening to you guys. I love it, baby. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Back at you, my man.